0: Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. My name is Mike. If you're a guest and don't know who I am, now you do. I'm Mike. Welcome. It's so good to be here. So good to worship God. I wasn't here last week. I was in the Philadelphia area with all my in-law family because my mother-in-law had her 80th birthday. And so we, we, well, there's people cheering for my mother-in-law here. Tear for mother-in-laws everywhere. And so when someone's... 80, what you want to do is make them as nervous as possible by taking them and making a party for them, which, so we made her very nervous, but it was, it was nice. But while I was away, I, I got to listen through electronic means like the rest of, uh, well, I should say people who don't show up, I don't know, <laughs> for people who listen by tr- uh, electronic means, um, I got to listen online and man, I love hearing Scott preach. That guy, you know we're so lucky to have him because he preaches. A lot of preachers don't preach. You know they don't. He's into it, man. He's feeling the word. He's sharing the word. And, and I, it was awesome. And I also heard Jack's next update and got excited to hear Jack uh, spell out in ways that only Jack Bowser can. How, um, how God has been faithful to our church uh, he went, uh, it was supposed to be the next initiative, he went like all the way back to the beginning, kind of, and covered everything. But I'm very excited about what's uh, coming with uh, the, in the future. I mean, he, he covered how we've been able to add staff that we said we needed, and we did, and we have them, and he covered um, how we really are way more prepared now to expand and reach out and he covered Redemption Church. In the last two days, I've gotten to have conversations with both their, they have two staff now. This is awesome, they have two staff. Greg is now on staff as a pastor and so is Fred. If you're new, you say, I don't know who those people are. Well, they used to be here. And um, and they, they've got 100 people regularly showing up. That's a good, strong start all in one year. I'm so excited about Redemption Church. Um, and I'm also excited about what's going to happen right here in Katani, because I'll tell you, if you're in this building, and I know you people listening in Indiana and PVC, you're not, and uh, we've given a lot of attention to one building during one year and another campus during another year, it's really time to give attention to this one. We use every square inch of this place, and, and, I, and not just weekends. I mean, it's every day of the week. I had a pastor friend come visit me, and he wanted me to show him around, and I did show him around. And they're always shocked at how much of the building we use, because the daycare uses everything that can be used. And And then they're always shocked at, you know, there are rumors out there. I was meeting with a... I'm mixing my stories up. Forget the first pastor I mentioned. I was talking to another pastor down... A friend of mine down at Expressway Baptist, which I love I love that guy, his name's Dan, he's a good guy down in Sarver, and, um, and he had, he's never been up here, and he hears stories that we're like a mega church, and I'm like, dude, we're a country church with country, and, uh, and, and he did just pave their lot, and I said, well, we don't have a paved lot, and he looked at me and go, you don't have a paved lot? I thought you guys, they, they think we're like, I don't know, Northway or something, I'm like, dude... Our folks do a lot with what they got, Um, and in that, I'm so excited uh, about the plans that have been going on behind the scenes. We have Fred, our executive pastor, working overtime to make sure what we do is the right thing. It's enough, not too much, done the smartest way possible, and I think, well, I'm not going to jack talk last week. We'll talk more when we start getting things on paper all I'm saying is, I was excited to hear it. I hope you were too. We'll get more to that later. Now, let's get to the sermon. We're in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. Mark chapter 5. Um, we, we're going right through the Gospel of Mark. And, and last week, Scott talked to us, well, he shared what was in the end of Mark chapter 4. What was it? A crazy boat ride. Um, Jesus put these guys in a boat, brought a storm, they're all freaking out, they they have a theological crisis, and they say to Jesus, why don't you care about us, we're going to die, and he says, why are you so afraid, I got this. Well, you know, we take these stories as if they stand alone, but do you know what happens next? (laughs) We're about to meet a dude with a bunch of demons, and think about the condition of these men getting out of the boat. So let's start in, in verse chapter 5, verse 1. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. When it says they came to the other side, they had just had a wild experience. I don't know how long they hung out in the boat after Jesus stopped the wind. And it said now they were more afraid of Jesus than they were of dying in a storm. They said now we're like, what kind of man is this that can stop the waves? Did he settle them down? Did they relax? Did they have packed lunches? Did he he give them some sort of heavenly valium? You guys need to chill, just relax, get your heartbeat back down. You've been through a lot. Because the very next thing they're going to see is going to be wild. But when they get out of the boat, you almost wonder if they're like, I don't know what's going on in life. I need to sleep, is what I'd think. But look what happens next, verse 2. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately... There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore. Note the word anymore. Meaning there was a time when this tormented man lived in society and could be managed somehow. But now, not anymore. They gave up. Not even with a chain. Now, no doubt, they didn't have the kind of chains we can make today, but a chain is still a strong thing. But... For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. This is a very frightening man. He's probably physically very strong. He's inhabited at this time by demons. And, and we, could, we could wonder if he's getting demonic strength, but I, don't, I think that would be pushing it too far. He's probably under some sort of panic and mania because of the demons. But the strength is within him also, and maybe his adrenaline's always running. This is a big dude. This is like The Rock losing it, right? Um, he, he's he's a strong man, and that would make him a very frightening man. I, if you've seen movies with The Rock, and I have, and Jumanji 2's coming out, and I'll probably see that because I'm shallow, and I'll um, <laughs> see him and Jack Black make stupid jokes, but I think I'd like the rock, don't you? Like, I'd trust the rock around children. He seems like such a nice guy. I, and I hope he really is, even though he's huge. Not this guy. If the rock was losing it, I'd be afraid. It said no one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And, you know, the sympathy of one human to another. I know it's 2,000 years ago, and he's doing okay now, so it's easy to be separated from this. But in that moment, imagine how horrifying. It's horrifying to hear people cry out in terror. If you've ever heard anyone scream in true terror, it scares you. It chills you. And, and this man is in horrible terror. Apparently, he's, uh, he, he's been kicked out of his own town. We'd never get the backstory. Um, but he he 's unmanageable he can 't live among his people, whoever his relatives are, they no doubt live nearby and uh he may have a mother who 's still alive, and she may be heartbroken um, that her son is in such a bad shape, he may have children we don 't know, but he lives his life wandering among tombs um, they wouldn 't dig a lot of holes to bury people in the mid east just because the ground doesn 't isn 't made for that, so they 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 use stones. And they they just bury you in a box above ground, and uh, or in caves. So he's wandering around, and he's also cutting himself. So whatever's going on inside his tormented mind, he thinks pain will help. People cut themselves now; it's not uncommon, just so they can feel. Nine Inch Nails has a song that, and some of you say, "Who's Nine Inch Nails?" It's actually, I think, one dude, but Johnny Cash. You know him, he did a cover of it called Hurt and he talks about just cutting himself just to know he was alive. It's not good to cut yourself, but people do that out of emotional pain. Well, this guy's in such emotional pain, he's screaming and chopping at himself. He's gotta be a very intimidating situation. So there are 12 guys and Jesus get out of a boat and the first thing they walk into is this dude, which if I'm like one of the apostles, you know what I do? back in the boat. (laughs) We're going to watch this from here, Jesus. You handle it. Gosh. Verse six, something amazing happens. When he saw Jesus from afar, so he's not right at the shore. He's out there. He ran and he fell down before him. Okay. Now he's running at you. Now he's running at us. But instead of attacking, beating, screaming out, he falls down, and then he cries out with a loud voice. Now, a demon doesn't have a voice to speak to us. He's a spirit being, (laughs) but the man has a vocal cord, and the demons are speaking through him. And he cries out with a loud voice, so he shouts this, and I'm not going to try to copy it. I would, but... I don't think I have the acting skills to pull it off realistically. you have to use your imagination. But he's shouting out in torment, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The, the demon, this is not the first time in Mark, the demon knows who he is. The people in the village who are going to come out by the end of this story Uh, don't know who he is. The apostles are just starting to figure out for reals who he is. The demon can already identify him as Jesus, son of most high God. They know him. And then, this is freaky, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. That's freaky because it's almost like a mercy prayer. A man is tormented. His mind is in there too. Is this the man? Is this the demon? Whatever it is, it's it's a it's a it's a merciful begging. Please do not torment me. Um, why would the man? We know why the man would beg for mercy. He's obviously feeling some sort of solidarity with the demons. I I don't. I'm not going to try to understand what's going on in his head. But why would the demons <laughs> cry out? For mercy. Why? uh, The the Bible is our source of spiritual knowledge. Um, So your understanding of demons, keep it very... We need to be disciplined in our understanding of demons. There's a lot of people with a lot of ideas that are Christian about them, non-Christian about them. A lot of th- times they come into fiction, Christian fiction, like Frank Peretti books, or non-Christian fiction. And you can have all these ideas. You can have people who say they died and went to hell and tell you what demons look like. Don't trust that. We have to say discipline. What's the Bible teach us about demons? But this isn't a demon going, Ha, 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 son of man, I have him. I'm going to... You know, it's no there's no... There's no they don't, this one doesn't have as much bravado as an ACDC cover, right? There's none of this, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna take you to hell, and all that crap that ACDC sings. No, that's crap for fools, and the music's crap too, but as a true rock and roller, I say that. You don't have to agree with the second part, but you can be wrong, but <laughs> real demons Real demons, when they see Jesus, have no bravado. They're begging for mercy. Why? Well, we know why. Just one little glimpse I want to show you from the scripture, Matthew 25. Later on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus will say this in Matthew twenty-five 41. He'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into, look at this, the eternal fire. Prepared for who? The devil and his angels. There is a destiny that demons have and apparently they know it. They dread some sort of future torment at the hand of their enemy God. They do not expect to win this fight. They know they're gonna lose. And so... But Jesus, what, they don't know Jesus' itinerary. God doesn't call him up and say, my son will be seeing you today. He doesn't show them that respect. But they see him and they think, if we're seeing him, is this it? Do we go to fire now? By the way, hell is not a place where demons live and enjoy That guy who wrote like 19 minutes in hell or whatever, what a liar he is. He has said he went to hell and demons were poking someone with a fork. That man is a liar, liar, liar. There's no demons in hell. They will be in hell, and they won't be poking people with forks. They'll be in torment. He doesn't want to go. Jesus had been saying to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Jesus asked the demon's name. This is a break with pattern in the book of Mark because up till now, Jesus tells the demons to shut up. He knows he's the son of God. He's gonna reveal it as he wishes. He doesn't want demonic forces doing it for him, apparently. And he tells them, shut up, and they must obey him. But this one, he actually asks a question. Why? The Bible doesn't say, here's my best guess. God wants us to glorify him by seeing how great he is in what he's about to do. Because this guy says, legion, we are many. We do not know how many demons are in that man. Legion can mean a lot. (laughs) And a demon can lie. I don't know how many. But we do know that a, a legion is a in that day, was a, Roman, a count of Roman soldiers who had revolutionized the way of doing war and had the greatest, most fearsome empire the world has known before or since. And the legion was five to six thousand soldiers. Now, if this guy has five to six thousand demons, oh my gosh, but even if it's one tenth, imagine the insanity in that man's mind, the torment in his mind. No wonder he cuts himself and walks among the mountains and. The man bows down before Jesus. Verse 10 and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country and now a great herd of pigs was feeding uh, on the hillside and they begged him saying send us to the pigs let us enter them. Now there's pigs by the way Geographical note. When he crossed over to Galilee, the Jews didn't run the the towns on the other side at this time in history, right? In fact, they don't now. (laughs) Um, They didn't run the towns on the other side of the Galilee. Those were non-Jews. Jews Jews wouldn't have herds of pigs, right? Because that's an unclean animal. So these are not Jews. These are not people grown up studying the Bible, believing the Bible. They are religious people because all humans are religious. They have some sort of pagan religion that they believe in. They no doubt had whatever chieftain or witch doctor or whoever did whatever they did try to handle the demons in this man. He was obviously no match for this man or these demons. And, and so these are pagans. Of some, we would call them pagans. They'd call themselves whatever they were. And the, the pigs are like, or the demons are like, send us, we'd rather possess pigs than what? Than hell, than torment. And so Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the deep bank into the sea and drowned. wow, wow. Wow, so let's go back to our 12 guys. They just got out of the boat. Their minds were turned around by God who can stop the wind. And the first thing they see is this demoniac who's huge and strong and scary and bloody and scarred. And, and we know from other gospels, naked, which is really freaky. And then, <laughs> and then all these pigs. What's it look like to see pigs running down a hill? No doubt this was not the demon's plan. Just, I want you guys, this is western Pennsylvania, and in Indiana County, in Butler County, Armstrong County, everywhere where we meet, all of us know farmland. I just want you to imagine livestock, maybe from the fair. Think, demon-possessed pig. Just dwell on that for a minute. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. So you got a herd of demon-possessed pigs, and it freaks the pigs out. And, and they run. The demons, where did they go after the pigs drown? I don't know. But not hell. And so I guess that was their goal. Um, notice, by the way, side note, demons are not free to do as they like on the earth. They always need the permission of God. And why God would give permission to a demon to do anything is known only to God. God. In other words, if demons had their way, we'd all be dead because they hate God and they hate humans made in the image of God, and God is their enemy. We'd all, if we all, if they had their way, they'd destroy us, like that. Or have us destroy ourselves. They are limited by God, but God apparently, in his sovereignty, allowed this man to have a lot of demons in him. Why, I don't know. My guess is, he's not a good boy. They ask permission. They get permission. In In a moment, are you catching this? In a moment, Jesus gets out of the boat and does what all the townspeople, all the family, whatever law enforcement, whatever shamans or witch doctors they had, what no one could do Like that. This is a powerful, powerful man. No one could control this guy. He couldn't control himself. Jesus shows up. He falls down. He says, demons out. And that's that. That's that. There's certain things you can't say in a sermon. But the initials BA come to mind. And if you don't know what that is, do not ask. Jesus is a man. He is God. So what happens in that moment? The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country. And it said the people came to see what had happened. I bet they did. Could you imagine going to tell your boss? Uh, so all the pigs are gone. Where did they go? So, let's go through this. Jewish dude, gets out of the boat. Demons in the pigs, pigs in the water. You know, sure. (laughs) So everyone, all the people came to see it. The village empties out. People from around come to see it. They went in the city and in the country. Uh, Towns are close enough to run to. And they said, everybody, listen, you've got to come see this. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. And the one who had the legion, that's the same guy, sitting there, and what is he? He's clothed and in his right mind. And what was the effect on the people? They were scared. All these Gentile, pagan, non-Jewish, false god-worshipping people, superstitious people, were having the same Response to Jesus that the apostles had just had when he stopped the storm, didn't they? They're like, this is a scary guy. Uh, our, 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 whoever their most important people were couldn't handle this, religiously, physically, any way. Jesus just says, "You guys out." They're afraid. And those who had seen it, described to them what had happened and the demons possessed men and to the pigs. You know they did. We humans love talking and we love being the one with news and we love telling what we saw. And could you imagine the people and then this and then this and then this. You should have seen it. It was wild. It was crazy. There were pigs tumbling and pigs falling. And, and look what it says. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region I I have no profound truth behind this, but just notice that the demons begged to get out of there. (laughs) And Jesus got them out of there for the sake of that man, not because he does what demons say. And now the people are begging Jesus to get out of there. They were scared of him. Begging is not over. Jesus is going to leave. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him. This is the third begging that he might be with him. He's like, you gotta take me with you. Can you blame him? The voices were no longer in his head. What, What do demons say? I don't wanna know. What terrifies you? What's an evil thing? Have you ever had an evil thought about something evil you could do? And thought, why did that thought come into my head? <laughs> and the demons fill his head all the time. He had no peace. He had no settledness. And his body, being human, was filled with negative chemicals, anxiousness, and mania. And Jesus said, "Boom, boom, boom!" And now he's like, he's like it. He's got the soundness of mind as a one-year-old on his mama's nap lap. He's like, I'm good, can I go with you? (laughs) Can I go with you? He knew instinctively it would be a privilege to follow Jesus, and here's where Jesus kind of breaks with routine. He He said, verse 19, he did not permit him, but said to him, no, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. They don't even know the Jewish Lord. They don't know, I mean, they're not Jews. You go tell them the Jewish Lord just did something for you. Go tell all your family. And what did he do? He did. He went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis. You can probably figure out what that word means. right? Polis is people. Deca is 10 10 villages. He went to the 10 villages or 10 cities around there. And he told everybody, everywhere he went, let me tell you a story. And I guarantee you he had an audience. They didn't have movies then probably the most interesting story in the region was this guy with the demons they all knew the dude had demons they all knew he was in the tombs they all knew each other's relatives they knew him and now here he is I don't have demons anymore and they're like we're relieved <laughs> good hide the chickens he's back <laughs> you, know, you never know what this guy's going to do He's like, no, I'm good, I'm good. Don't, don't hide your babies, you're fine. This man named Jesus came, and you're never gonna get this, but the forces of evil in every pagan group knows there are demons. If you, you can go in jungles, you can go throughout history. Anthropologically speaking, everyone knows there's evil forces. And he's, this, this Jewish dude, Jesus, Those demons were afraid of him and did whatever he said. And he set me free. He told everybody. Why did Jesus tell him to go home and not follow him? Jesus' pattern is follow me. Take up your cross. Follow me. Leave your home. Follow me. Sell your goods. Follow me. He's really into follow me. But him, he says, no, you go home. Most, the the Bible doesn't tell us why, but most likely it's because the guy's not a Jew. Jesus comes to Israel first. He ministers to Israel first. This is his demonstration of love for all nations, but it's not his primary calling. He's there to minister to Israel, to be rejected by his home nation, laid on a cross, die for the sins of the world. So he's not asking the Gentiles to follow him around, just the Jews. And, and that really does become the pattern of, of Christian ministry after the resurrection uh, is go and tell what Jesus has done for you. It's the pattern today. Go and tell what Jesus has done for you. It's one of the most effective things we can do. At our men's retreat, um, every man, the the leader did a great job teaching. He wasn't from our church, and and he had all of us learn and practice how to tell the story of what Jesus did for us in one-minute, two-minute, three-minute versions. And we all did it, and they all did it. At the Freeport campus, every single man who went took a week and told their story. They're repeating the same thing that this demoniac, no longer demoniac man, did. They're just saying, this is what Jesus did for me. They had good stories. Nowhere as good as this one. (laughs) But we could, when you hear people tell what Jesus did for them, your faith grows. My faith grew, right? And so that is the pattern. That's not what this sermon is about. You guys hear that enough, right? Go and tell, bring people to church. But I want us to look at a different aspect of what's going on here. And that is what it means to be in your right mind. What's it mean to be in your right mind is more my concern today. This man had been manic, right? Manic, you know what that is? Used to have people who were manic depressive, then people said, well that's not nice, so politically correct, it's bipolar, they'll probably change that soon to generally moody or something. Can't hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> wavy emotions. I have wavy emotion syndrome. Um, manic. <laughs> you know, you're just going all the time. And it can be positive and it can be negative. And this guy was a mess. And he was tormented. He was not a happy manic. And Jesus brought relief. He brought him back to sanity. What's, so 2 I want to bring up two points about people in their right mind. They're both in your map. One, everybody's mind is broken. Everyone's mind is broken. Everyone's. And two, while Jesus uses his blood to save our souls, he does not neglect our minds and our emotions. So we, we, we talk, as we should, about how the blood of Christ was shed to take away our sins. And we, we thank God for that. But one of the effects of Jesus' grace on us is a change in our brain. And our brain needs to be changed because everyone's mind is broken. For you old-timers like me or people who like old-timey music, in the words of George Thorogood, everybody's funny, now you're funny too. And if you don't get that one, don't worry about it. You can get this. There's something wrong with your brain. You're weird. Now, you don't look it. That's why the people sitting around you think you're one of those people who has it all together. But here's the joke. You think they do. And both of you were wrong. You get close enough to anybody's family, and you'll see you got some real nuts in there. And then the one guy who acts like he's not a nut, if you could crawl into his head, you'd say, he's crazy too. We're all broken in our thinking. We're all messed up. And some, to some levels that it's debilitating. You can have people who absolutely cannot be endured by other people. They could be sociopathic, they could be criminal, they could be always angry and mean to everybody, and nobody likes them they could be 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 chronically lonely because of their messed upness or they could be anxious or they could be um, manic depressive or they could be they could be they 're just a mess, and everybody is to some level or another here 's what the Bible says about the human mind, every human mind romans one twenty one for although they knew God, this is our natural state. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile where, brothers and sisters, in our thinking. The mind is where the battle goes on. The mind. And their foolish hearts were darkened. It's not talking about this beating thing in your chest. It's talking about you. Your you-ness. Yourself. Your thinking. It's dark. We don't think right apart from god any we we were made in god's image and should think right naturally we should be born thinking right understanding good bad loving good hating bad doing good not bad being kind understanding up down what is we should all be to put it in a four letter word sane but to some extent we're all nuts because we're broken. As uh, Ravi Zacharias says, we have the image of God, but it's a shattered visage. He says it with a cool Indian accent. It sounds more intellectual, but he's right. It's a shattered visage. We're skewed. We don't look at things right. We fear when we shouldn't. We hate when we shouldn't. We misunderstand other people all the time. We have patterns of bad thinking that dominate our lives. Our emotions get set and suffer because of it. We have modern labels for messed up thinking like anxiety, bipolar, panic, mania, stubborn. Stubborn is some people are proud. Well, he's stubborn. Yeah, I'm stubborn. All you're saying is, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. Stubborn means everyone around you knows that when there's a right thing, you won't change your mind. That's all that means. That's all stubborn is. So, if you take pride in being stubborn, everyone in your world is telling you when it comes to doing the right thing that's obvious to everyone, you're too stupid to do it. So, don't take pride in that anymore. You can take pride in stick-to-itiveness. That's when they say, he, if he's doing the right thing, he won't quit. But, stubborn? Hothead. He's a hothead. As if that excuses something. Foolish. There's so many words. In every case, it's the same. The thinking's broken. Mankind is a fallen creature. All human beings in all cultures at all times know and could say in unison if asked, it's not supposed to feel like this. It's not supposed to be like this. The world shouldn't be like this. I don't have to explain that to you because you're human and you've said it. Why are we messed up in our brains? Well, three reasons all related to sin. The first is the general effects of being fallen. Since Adam and Eve sinned, we're all, we're all born broken. Second, other people hurt us. And because we don't think right, we don't interpret the hurt right. And if it happens when you're really young, you can really interpret it wrong and be stuck in a bad pattern of thinking, which hurts your emotions for the rest of your life. And third, we sin. We do bad things to other people, and it messes up our thinking. What we see here is Jesus comes to the most thoroughly messed up human that you can meet. A guy who's absolutely tormented in his mind by demons. And he sets him right. He's there in his right mind. <laughs> Jesus is the door to our freedom. And you, you, I'm a preacher, I'm supposed to say that. He's the door to your freedom. He's the door to heaven. And you think I'm just talking about saving your soul. And he does save your soul. He's the door to heaven. But it's not just your soul. It's your mind, it's your emotions. And your emotions matter. Jesus teaches us what to think. And if we believe him and obey him, our thinking over time changes and so do our emotions. Romans 12, two, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. He exchanges, when when Jesus comes into your life, he exchanges stupid for wise. Stubborn for humility. Despair for joy, fear for courage, confusion for peace. And here's the good part. He does it because he cares for us. He, He cared for that guy at that tomb. The Holy Spirit of God in him the Father God, the whole Trinity was there, sending Jesus on a boat across the river to meet one man and set him free. Why? Does it show God's glory? Absolutely. Would it lead to successful evangelism after the resurrection in that region? It absolutely would. They'd be ready to hear the message of that Savior. But don't get away from every bit of evidence says Jesus was always motivated by love for the person he ministered to. He loved that guy. That guy, for all you know, needed to die. If he was married, could you imagine that guy? made that woman's life a nightmare. He broke his mother's heart, and we don't know what he did to chickens. It could have been bad But Jesus loved him, and he loves you. He restores us to a sound mind and that. I want to proclaim to you that the Bible teaches us that Jesus gives us sound minds. If our minds are broke, if everybody's funny, he makes us right. Listen, everybody's funny but one. There's only one normal person is Jesus. Everybody else is a little off. Some of you are really whack. You're not even a little off. You're really whack. But Jesus is sane. It's funny, we go to see therapists, and they're going to be like, hmm, let's see if we can make you better. There's a problem. They're not better. They know what sick looks like. They don't know what well looks like. There's only one guy who's really well. Three steps to a sound mind. These are all biblical principles. One, fear the Lord. The Bible tells you how to get from wherever you are to right thinking and a sound mind and the good emotions that go with it. We might want it to be bam, but it's not bam. (laughs) It, It. it goes in stages, and the first stage, and the most important is fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The proper response to seeing Jesus cast out demons and that chase pigs into the sea is to be afraid. It is to, you, the proper response to Jesus is to be afraid because he's so powerful, he makes the spirit realm obey him. He's so powerful, he makes wind stop. The the proper response is to think about mortality and life and death and God. And there is proper response to thinking about your own death is to think about punishment for your immorality. And, And that, no Bible needs to teach anybody. Every human society from the beginning fears death and fears punishment. That's why every religion deals with sin. It's in you. And so when you see Jesus and you say, this is the one who judges everything. This is the one who's powerful over everything. The proper response is to be afraid. Really afraid. One of the worst sins of the church throughout ages is we make Jesus into some namby-pamby nice guy. He is the God of the universe who throws human beings into hell and he's righteous when he does it. But the broken mind of man seeks to avoid those realities. I'm just not gonna think about death and punishment and we don't respect the value of the human soul. When I'm dead, I'm dead. So what? We don't think about eternity or the holiness of God. The Bible says in Romans nine twenty seven, just as it is appointed for man to die once. You get once no karma. Sorry. No second chance. Well, I went to the to the psychic and she told me that way back when I was the queen of, of Egypt. Well you weren't, she was a liar. And if you had been back there you'd have been a wash girl, just saying. You're always the queen of something. King of something. You die once. And after that comes what? People die. They're always in heaven. I can't wait to die and be with Grandpa. You better wait. First you don't know where Grandpa is and you don't know where you're going. Because the next thing after death is measurement. How did you do? And guess what? No one measures up. We've had two funerals in two days at Harvest. Both... The people who died were well-known to many people in our church and community. Both of them well-loved, well-liked, well-known. And neither of them did any of us think we're gonna go. They went at the, what we would consider the wrong time. One of them who exercises way more than you do. Had no body fat. The other, just, just woman doesn't die then. No one really knows why. And you have all these hundreds of people in our society going to viewings, going to funerals. How many who went to those viewings and funerals are not ready to see the face of the God who casts out demons? And yet they look at one of their own who has gone across. And then they just go back to work and forget about it. It's insane. The first step to sanity is fear God. The first step, the beginning of wisdom. The first step to a sound mind is fear the God who judges sinners. I mean, I quoted Matthew 25 earlier to tell you why the demon would be afraid. Because Jesus said, he has prepared a a fire for the devil and his angels. That wasn't a verse about where demons go. That was just something he threw in. This is where demons go. That was a verse about humans. About judgment day. To those on his left, humans he said, "Apart from me, you cursed one into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels." The reason why so many Christians want to get rid of the idea of hell is cuz they haven't got the guts to face God. So they say, "Well, wow, hell's just annihilation. You just cease to exist." God can't be that scary. God is that scary. He's that holy. (laughs) Let me put it another way. No matter how foolish you are, think, why don't I think about those things? In the moment when you're standing before God and He's throwing folks into hell, fear of the Lord is going to make an awful lot of sense. It needs to make sense right now. It's foolish to put off that reality. Jesus made a way to be saved. He saved the demoniac from demons right in front of us. And he's willing to save you. I read to you verse 27, just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. Do you know what verse 28 says? So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who eagerly await him. Yeah, you can die and face judgment or choice two. This is the good choice, right? Take door number two. (laughs) Choice two is Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. He, perfect, took your sins. You can repent. You can be like the demoniac, fall down and say, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. And he will say, I will. Because I've already done the work on the cross. And he's coming again to save who? Those who eagerly wait for him. Who eagerly waits for the second coming? Those who love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Have you taken that step of fear in the Lord? If you haven't, you should be afraid. I have no comforting words for you. The God of the universe has died to save you, and then he sent someone, and probably I'm not the first one, to tell you, and if you're going to hold out, be afraid, and if you're too foolish to be afraid, I pray for your soul. But once you've done that, and I assume most people in this room have already bowed before the Lord. That's why you're here. This is a worship service for Christians. We like guests. We always know there's people who don't know Christ in the room and we love you. We want you to be with us. We want you to know we don't think we're better than you. We just think we're sinners who he saved. What about you? The answer is continue in the Lord. Why? Many people have heard you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? Right? People who don't know the Bible knew that. What many people do not realize is that that's not an event, it's a process. People think, I'll know the truth and I'll be free. It's like, no, no, that's part of a process. Let me show you the whole sentence. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, people who heard him and took the step to believe in him, he's telling them the next step. He says, look, if you abide in my word, now that you say you believe in me, if you live in my word, if you make my word your home you're truly my disciples. That's going to be the mark that you're really mine. Not that you heard and believed. That's not the mark. But that you stay in my word. How do you stay in his word? You're constantly thinking it. You're constantly changing your mind according to the truths you learn from the Bible. You're constantly applying it. That's how you live in it. Then you're truly my disciples. And then what happens? You will know the truth, how, in an ongoing manner, and what will happen, the truth will set you free. It's a process that should go on in the Christian life your whole life. You should be sweeter before you die. There's some people who just, are just rugged, mean people, and they're Christians, and people say, boy, she's a rugged, mean person, to which someone should say, well, you should have seen her before she was a Christian. <laughs> she's made a lot of progress. Well, that's all of us. You should grow in grace. In other words, to, to grow in obedience to the word of God is to grow in sanity, sensibility, and truth. You should be more sensible now than you were 10 years ago if you were a Christian 10 years ago. Lastly, believe the Lord, and by believe I mean trust. Faith is necessary to change your thinking because your thinking is your thinking my thinking is my thinking because I think I'm right and don't think well he's so arrogant you think you're right too how do I know if you didn't think you're right would you really think that (laughs) whatever that is or if you're stubborn you know you're wrong but you think the right thing to do is to not tell people so you still think you're right and you know you're wrong you still think you're right It takes trust. God said, don't think that, think this. You go, wait a minute. (laughs) And he'll talk about anything, not just about eternal life. He'll be talking about the way you handle money, the way you talk to a child, the way you do your job, the way you talk about or to your boss. He'll he'll say, the way you talk about your boss, this isn't going to work for me. You really shouldn't be bad-mouthing him to anybody, anywhere, at any time. I don't (laughs) care how bad he is. You're mine. I put him over you to train you. You're going to speak well of him and achieve his goals. You're like, he's a jerk. You're going to have to change the way you think, aren't you? Well, you cannot obey God and continue to be an idiot. Or you could obey God and you will grow insanity. Look at what... what, what It said, Paul says to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Here's the part I want you to see. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Timothy is stressed by something. We don't know what he's a church leader. So he's been a Christian a while and Paul's reminding him, listen, I know you're scared of something. We don't know what. But I want to remind you that the spirit of God is one of love, power and self-control. And I want to tell you about that self-control. Self-control that's that is that's that's translated in some places as sound mind. Right? Of love of power sometimes discipline why? It's a Greek word, of course. And guess what? It's the same exact family of words that we see when we see the demoniac and it says he's in his right mind. So it's saying you It's really saying God's given you a spirit of power, love, and sanity, (laughs) reasonableness, sensibleness, right thinking. Paul knows that Timothy, though he's been a Christian a long time, still needs this lesson. You're still growing, Timothy. Let me read something to you that I added at the end, so it's not on your slides, unless some tech at one of the campuses got real smart and threw it in. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, for we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life. Paul, who had been a Christian for a while, loved God for a while, not only obeyed the word of God, he wrote the word of God. He lived the word of God. The truth had known him, and it had, had set him free. And now, even so, he says... But when I went to Asia, we were burdened beyond strength. We despaired of life itself. Why? We felt we received the sentence of death. Why? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9. He's saying, look, God put us in a pressure cooker situation, and I was losing my stuff. My brain was whacked. I was despairing. I wanted to die. Why did God stick me in that? Why? To teach me not to depend on myself. He was taking me to another level of knowing the truth. What do you think the result of that was going to be in Paul's life later? Peace. I've lived long enough now. It's good to get older. I like getting older. You talk to some people that get to 70s and 80s. They're not feeling good. They always say, don't get old. Oh, great, I'll just drive off a cliff now. Grandma, thanks. (laughs) I'd rather have a bad back. (laughs) But one of the things as a Christian, I know, and if you don't believe me, just to testify to the truth of what Jesus has done, ask my wife. She's known me a long time. I know that this process works. There's way more peace in my life. When a hardship comes, and they do, I actually have learned because he's taught me to respond with, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm gonna trust you. And he's setting my brain right. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. I don't know what you're going through right now. So here's what I want you to do. Breathe out. Relax your troubled mind. Just relax your troubled mind and all the weight of the world that's on you and call on Jesus. He will help you. I'm going to India this week. Lori and I are going to India to visit with our friends. I don't want to call them the M word because this will be online Um, and encourage them for Christmas. This was planned before we knew we had that VBS group going, but we're still going. And ho, 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 I do have the belly for Santa. Maybe I'll bring gifts. I am going to bring presents for the kids. Um, pray for me. If you want to see what I'm up to, the only social media that you can find me regularly on is, is uh, what's that one, Instagram. And I'm not regularly on it, but when I go out, I'll put pictures on there. If you care, I'll put them on there. I think it's pastor, bottom slash, Mike, bottom slash seven, or whatever you call that thing. Pa- Thank you, underscore, pastor, underscore, Mike, underscore, seven. Or look for Mike Greiner. But when I get back from India, we're going to have a, a series of sermons. But we'll take a break from Mark and have a series to talk about what it's like, really, to have a sound mind in a crazy world. That's not what's called. <laughs> but the very first sermon, we're going to go and have even more on this. In the meantime, we have, uh, Scott will be, yelling at you guys for a while and whoever else. So enjoy Christmas without us. Um, We'll be thinking of you. Hope you think of us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.